values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. I want to remind you that we are doing an election special right after the noon expansion, and that will be carried here at KTAR News to give you a, 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 a look, a preview of the elections to come. So it's another election special. You can also go to KTAR.com slash Arizona Votes for interviews and candidate uh, features we've done. It's just a great clearinghouse and a way to be an informed voter. Um, by the way, um, social media <laughs> has, uh, has gone afire. Uh, with the announcement that I'm hosting the I will be moderating the clean elections debate. Um, so this should be fun this weekend. I want to shift gears to talk about a frequent topic on the show for me, which is law enforcement. And uh, it's an interesting question that's being asked here. Now, this is from Cronkite, uh, Cronkite News, uh, you know, the, the, the Cronkite students. And it, it asks about civilian oversight of police. Is it they say it's popular, but does it work? Uh, they talk about Fort Worth, Texas, Madison, Wisconsin, Columbus, Ohio were among 25 major cities to launch a civilian oversight agency in 20 or 21. We know that Phoenix has here in Phoenix. It's called OAT, the Office of Accountability and Transparency. Um, I took some issue with the rules as far as the office goes. The office uh, is set up so that no one that is in law enforcement or has been in law enforcement or has family members that are in law enforcement are allowed to be employees of this office. We had the director of the office on the show to talk about it as it was just being started. He came from Cleveland, Ohio, to where he oversaw things there to head up this office here. And um, he said that they will seek out law enforcement's opinion when they think that it's necessary. I've taken a couple of issues with this. Um, there is something unique about law enforcement and, and, and like many other professions where, you know, lawyers oversee lawyers. The Bar Association is lawyers that are overseeing lawyers. And I think in law enforcement, because it's such a unique profession, they understand. And we have so many retired people in law enforcement here. They understand good behavior and bad behavior. They understand appropriate response and inappropriate response to a situation. They are trained from the first day in the police academy – Sometimes it's called the ladder of force or whatever you want to call it, the progression of the use of force that's available to an officer, beginning with verbal instructions and ending with lethal force and everything that happens in between. Now, no officer is required or trooper or deputy is required to hit every rung on the ladder on the way up. You can jump immediately to deadly force when confronted with deadly force. But they are trained to respond in a manner that is sufficient to stop the threat in that situation. Sometimes it's a verbal command of take your hands out of your pocket, put your hands on the dashboard, keep your hands where I can see them. To putting someone in handcuffs and detaining them so that it doesn't get violent. To an altercation which ends with a less lethal, maybe it's a taser or it's capstun, you know, the, the pepper spray. To lethal force sometimes when necessary. But civilian oversight, for us to be able to know the intricate details of what an officer faces, the life or death split second decisions, I don't know that civilians are qualified. I probably know more about law enforcement than most civilians because of my involvement. I'm a law enforcement family with my brother. The multiple friends that I have in PD, the ride-alongs I've done does not make me an expert. I'm just saying I may have a little bit more insight than most people do. I don't know that I'd be qualified to sit on that board. So that's my opinion of this at the beginning. The other part of it, though, is that we have a special – there is a a mindset 
in our country that says these people need to be watched. They're trouble unless you watch them. There is a difference. There's rules and oversight everywhere. I have a boss. Everybody has a boss. My boss doesn't watch me and everything that I do. And sometimes there's a group of people out there, many of them employed of these offices of accountability, these police oversight civilian boards. They are on the hunt. There's a difference. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening in the office in Phoenix. I don't know enough about it. I just told you the rules that I suspect uh, that I think are a little suspicious. But that doesn't mean that they're not good, well-intended people. But the question is, are these civilian law enforcement uh, oversight boards effective? Or are they more about politics and pacifying people and making sure that a segment of society that doesn't like law enforcement gets what they want? And it's a value, valuable question for all of us. I want to add another wrinkle to this. Anybody out there that is a law enforcement advocate like I am or a supporter of law enforcement, we've had this big question that's been asked about space, about personal space. And where law enforcement, you shouldn't be within eight feet of a law enforcement situation and the law that was shot down uh, that would have protected. You can't videotape within eight feet. And proponents of this are saying, wait a minute, we're entitled. We're entitled to do this. I want you to think about something. All of you out there that believe that this is not an infringement in any way. I just want to put a thought in your mind. That here in Maricopa County, there are concerns because there are ballot boxes where people are dropping off their ballots, and there are groups of vote watchers. There are people that bring out lawn chairs and pizzas and cameras and are videotaping people at drop-off locations and other voting locations and vote poll workers, and they're videotaping and, and, and taking pictures of them. How do you feel about that? Now, if you want to say that it's different – both government workers. So you're saying specifically law enforcement is the only people that are allowed to be watched. What about the fact that the groups of people that are watching the ballot boxes are taking pictures of children and you know people that have nothing to do with the work that's being done? You think it's appropriate behavior? Does it border on harassment? Is there harassment that goes on? And it's a great question. Is this harassing behavior or or is this legitimate checks and balances? If you're across the street taking pictures of an adult that drops a ballot in a ballot box, is that a legal and B non-confrontational? I'm taking a picture of you because I want to make sure that you're probably not bad, but we want to make sure that nobody out there is stuffing ballot boxes. Is that Appropriate behavior. Now cross the line where it's people's families that are being videotaped or had pictures taken of them. Is that harassment? And if somebody says something to you while you're trying to vote, if you feel intimidated, there was a time and I, I, I can't remember exactly which um, which election, whether it was the first one or the second one. I think it might have been the first time Barack Obama was elected president. There was a video in cities across the country, not many of them, but in places across the country where uh, the new Black Panthers were, were there with uh, sticks to make sure that uh, everybody had the right to vote. And it was intimidating to some people. 
is it appropriate behavior? I just think I think that's a great question for us to wrestle with. Is it an appropriate response with the video cameras and the and the uh, you know the cameras to take pictures of people that are dropping their ballots off and their families, kids in the car, kids walking up to the ballot box with them? Great question. In a moment, um, journalists condemning GOP candidates because of attacks on the media. We're going to talk a little bit about this story coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, I really appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. NASCAR Championship Weekend returns to Phoenix Raceway on November 4th through the 6th. The weekend will have something for everyone, from the diehard NASCAR fans looking to get close to the action to the fans looking for fun, exciting family atmosphere. Head to the contest page now at KTAR.com for your chance to win sold-out grandstand tickets. Um, interesting story this morning on AZ Central. Um, a, a Perry Vandell wrote, writes a story, former journalists condemn Republican candidates for attacks on media disinformation. Now, the only issue I have with this is they should strike the word Republican out of it. If you're going to be upset with the candidates, you got to be upset with both sides. There was a time when and, and then uh, then the qualifications always come in. Well, yeah, Democrats have criticized the media, but they've never done this and this has never happened. Wait a minute. Hang on. The media has special protections that they should always have in this country because the media should be able to criticize the government without fear of fallout. Does anybody remember what happened to AP reporters during the Obama administration when their phones were tapped? Does anybody remember the Obama administration trying to exclude Fox News from press conferences? Now, to the credit of other media outlets at the time, NBC, ABC, CBS, cable news, they all stood up and said, you can't exclude them. They stood behind Fox News as a colleague. We may not be in that place anymore. But you have to acknowledge that any time you go after the media, it's wrong. And what I mean is not just disagree. Disagreement is exactly what we're supposed to do. It's try to alter it. Um, you know, when you've got when you're tapping the phones of reporters, so it happens on both sides. The idea that this now has become politicized, because when I read a headline, if this headline says former journalists condemn candidates for attacks on media and disinformation, I think about that and say, OK, I get that. The headline says Republican. And when you look at the list of some of the people that are on here, um, they have been known within the industry to be liberal on their personal politics. So is this a political statement from them or is this truly out of fear? They gather and they speak at Cronkite and I will tell you this. Um, I love what Cronkite turns out because I have been – I have had the pleasure of working with so many people in this building that are Cronkite graduates, including Julia, my producer. They turn out – qualified journalists. They turn out people that are good at what they do, whatever they choose to do, whatever it is they choose to do. And so, yes, this should be a concern for the next generation of journalists because we have gotten a lot more vitriolic when it comes to political campaigns and the media. At the same time, there has to be an acknowledgement from the media that sometimes you get it wrong. And uh, I just think if you don't look at it and say, yes, there are times when I have let 
uh, my personal feelings get involved or that looks jaded. And I can tell you the, the attention to detail in fairness that happens in this building to make sure that they're fact-based, not opinion-based. And if there is opinions, like my show, we make sure to make the clear designation that this is my opinion. This isn't, this isn't a news story. This isn't a journalist piece. This is an opinion. You go and look over at uh, AZ Central, and we all know E.J. Montini, Lori Roberts, they are opinion people. They are editorialists. They are people that are supposed to write their opinion and conjure up thought and emotion in the things they do. And we know that Lori Roberts is the thought and E.J. Montini is the emotion. Um, and I say that tongue in cheek, but that, you know, it is that is what it is. Public discourse has gotten to be loud and it has gotten to be very disagreeable. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but look at both sides. The idea that the headline singles out one political party as if the other political party isn't guilty of it, on its face, you are doing exactly what angers people on the right. No fair coverage, no equal coverage of bad behavior, no pointing out of bad behavior on the other side, only going with one side and saying we're going after Republican candidates. Now, whether that's true or not, that's what the headline says. The headline reads, former journalists condemn Republican candidates for attacks on media and disinformation. The president of the United States got snarky with Peter Ducey. When he asked about what the priorities are at the White House, whether their priority is the economy or abortion, the president said there are a lot of there. Are, um, there's not just one thing unlike you or there's a lot of important things unlike you, you know, just snarky. Is that an attack on the media? And when does it cross a line and why would you write a story that only blames one political party? Because we know it happens everywhere. And it's not right. We can disagree without being disagreeable. I can disagree with people and not be disagreeable. But to single out one political party for this in the story is exactly why that political party talks about the mainstream media and fake news. They're an example of what they're trying to say they're not. It, It is frustrating, and I know why people are frustrated. Coming up in a moment, uh, President Biden says he hasn't stopped oil production. But is that true? We'll let you hear some of the details coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the Mike Broomhead Show. As always, the President of the United States defending himself on gas and oil prices, uh, saying that he is not doing anything to uh, reduce the amount of oil that's produced. And people in the industry are saying that's just not true. The President of the United States has kind of gone out on a public, uh, like a PR uh, run against the oil companies, telling them to bring down oil prices. I played that earlier. Here he's accusing the oil companies of not passing savings on to their customers. American oil companies are using that windfall, the windfall of profits, to buy back their own stock, passing that money on to their shareholders, not to consumers. (laughs) So 
So I just I will say to you that this is scary to me in all facets when you talk about the government, the United States government going after private industry. When you and I'm I'm not making a big leap here. I'm not screaming that this is happening. This is what worries people, and I, and I mean this respectfully. When I talked, uh, and I didn't see things because you grow up here. You don't see things the way other people that have grown up in other places do. Um, the example I'm going to use is my friends from Cuba. I have many of them, but one family in particular. If you remember, and I don't know what the intent was. I don't think there was evil intent here from an American point of view. I don't think this was evil, evil intention. But – the president of the United States and Barack Obama was touting Obamacare and how good it was going to be. And there was pushback from people on my side of the aisle that said it's going to be a disaster and it's going to be a disaster for a number of reasons. And this is why it's going to be a disaster. And so the White House put out a statement and said, hey, listen, if you've got friends that are talking about the Obamacare thing and they're getting it wrong that they're saying it's bad give us their email address and we'll make sure they have the accurate information sounds innocuous it sounds like they are just defending themselves and that's the way I took it when I saw it my friends from Cuba said you know how scary that is turn your friends into the government so we can send them accurate information now I'm not saying that's what the Obama administration was doing but to the appearance of someone that lived under co- communism, you listen to that statement or you hear the White House say that and you think, wait a minute, I'm going to criticize the government and the next thing you're going to do is send me an email from the government telling me how wrong I am? That was the fear from people that lived under communism. Well, I can tell you the people that have lived under communism and socialism, especially socialism, right now what's happening in America when the president of the United States uses the bully pulpit that he has to demonize private industry, it looks like Venezuela. This looks like Hugo Chavez to them. Hugo Chavez talking about the evils and the greed in capitalism and the fairness of a socialist government that controls prices. You and everyone out there is hurting. Everyone out there is hurting. You're paying way too much money for gasoline. It's going to cost you way too much money to heat your home this winter with natural gas. And the electricity you've got to buy because of the oil prices and uh, you know the, the, the fossil fuels that are used to create electricity. So bills are going up everywhere, and it's very difficult for people. And then the president of the United States goes out and says it's the oil company's fault. Those people are profiteering. They are, they're doing all these things to get richer and richer and richer. They're the problem. That scares the hell out of people, and it should scare the hell out of every American. And the reason why is because in America, we don't demonize private industry. And in this case, the president's getting it wrong in my opinion. But you want to work with the oil companies. You want the oil companies to work hand-in-hand with you to do what we can because of what OPEC is getting ready to do. Instead of standing up and demonizing OPEC, instead of standing up and saying the OPEC nations, the Saudis and the OPEC nations along with Russia are doing two things and neither are good. Number one, the reduction in production is going to raise the price of oil, which is going to cause our fuel prices in our country to go up. That's bad. But what it's also going to do is enrich the Russian people to help them pay for this war that we want to end by enriching them because the price of oil goes up. They get more money into their bank accounts, which buys more weapons and allows them to continue this evil war. Instead of doing that, he takes to the bully pulpit and goes after private corporations in America.
Here's one more. This is him talking about this. While a war is raging, you should be using these record-breaking profits to increase production and refining. Invest in America for the American people. Bring down the price you charge at the pump to reflect what you pay for the product. That's exactly what they are doing, number one. But here's the problem with this. The president of the United States, they have made mistakes in calculation, which has caused the stoppage of leases, active leases, in the Gulf of Mexico. They haven't corrected the mathematical error, so they've reduced it there. They have put more and more restrictions from the EPA on the production of oil here in the U.S. And the investment that the American government is making, $2.8 billion, is the expansion of building batteries for electric vehicles, not in help the oil and gas industry expand and do what's necessary with the refining capabilities we have to have and with pulling out of the ground. They're not helping. So while behind the scenes they are going after the oil companies with regulation, over-regulation, redundant regulation, they turn around and demonize them as profiteers. And we may disagree on the issue of the oil companies. What I mean by that is you may agree that the oil companies are charging too much and they could they could lower their prices, keep their profits still pretty high and ease it for the American people. You may agree, you we may disagree on that issue. But what we should agree on is that when the president of the United States takes to the bully pulpit as the president of the United States and demonizes private industry, it's a scary thing to see. Hugo Chavez demonized private industry, called them dangerous. So what we are going to do is we are going to force them to pay a higher minimum wage. And we all know when you raise the minimum wage, the cost of everything goes up. So the quality of life for the person that just had the wage increase doesn't change because the cost of living goes up the same amount that that raise went up. That's how it works in capitalism. So what the Venezuelans did was not only raise the minimum wage, they capped the profitability of private companies, meaning they were only allowed to make so much money. And if you violated these rules, the government took over your business. And in the span of 20 years, look where Venezuela is now. There's a reason. There is a reason why Venezuelans are fleeing that country to come to this one and not the other way around. I, I just to me, this is it's is scary. I'm not going to lie. This is a scary situation to me. Coming up in a minute, um, we are going to talk about uh, Stacey Abrams. And did Stacey Abrams actually say that abortion helps reduce inflation? I'll give you details coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, there was a weird back and forth. Uh, Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in, uh, in Georgia... Stacey Abrams was talking about uh, abortion. She was on MSNBC's Morning Joe with a contributor, Mike Barnacle, and a question about possible strategies um, and how how an abortion and American families. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what she said. And then I want to talk about if she meant it the way it sounded to a lot of people, because I don't get on the topic of abortion very often. But I want to talk about this after you hear it. 
But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out. But we also have to talk about what a governor can do. It sounds to me like she's saying that women that don't have a lot of money need to be able to abort their babies so they don't end up poor. That's how that sounded. That is the clear reason why people that are pro-life are talking about being pro-life. This is about saying that if you're poor, you should abort your child or should be able to abort your child because you don't want to be poor or poorer. Having children is why people are worried about putting gas in their car. So, and I think this is a fair comparison. When someone like myself begins to talk about this topic, someone on the other side of the conversation immediately jumps to the extreme that says, well, what about rape and incest? What about saving the life of the mother? So before we jump to that extreme on my side, let's jump to this extreme. Because the complaint from so many pro-life people is that abortion has become so common that there are some people that are using it as a form of birth control. And Stacey Abrams seems to be making that statement. And we live in a world where science has made such big strides. Pregnancies are our babies are born in early and earlier stages and survive the safety of a pregnant woman and survival of such you know the trauma of childbirth that uh, and the complications that can come with pregnancy so many of the technical and medical advances have stopped or greatly diminished a lot of those things that make it dangerous for women sometimes during a pregnancy that we look at this and say okay it's not going it, it, to it's safer What Stacey Abrams seems to be saying in that statement is poor women should be able to have an abortion so that they don't get poorer. And that's exactly what the pro-life movement has been all about, has been about looking at this. There are so many options out there. Um, I've talked about them before. And here's what I'm going to give you an opinion that I I don't know how popular this is going to be. This 15-week ban that came out here in Arizona seems to be one that a lot of people agree upon, that that becomes a viable pregnancy after 15 weeks. If that law were to be put in place, if that law were enacted, I would say to my friends that are pro-life, what we should be doing is encouraging women not to have an abortion, not because it's illegal, but because we would want them to put the baby up for adoption or keep the baby themselves and help them. There's an organization That's called Choices Pregnancy Center. And Choices Pregnancy Center, regardless of what you've heard about places like this, uh, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world that are absolutely lying or just ignorant on what those places do, a Choices Pregnancy Center comes alongside a young woman or a couple and counsels them. They get parenting classes that are available if if they are going to keep the child. They also set them up that if as they go through all of these parenting classes, if they complete the entire classes, a set of classes, they have enough uh, for a 
nursery and layout sets and diapers and things to start off with their child. They come alongside if a, if, a, if a woman is going to give a child up for adoption, they come alongside with adoption services and help there. The one thing they don't do is abortion counseling. They counsel women post-abortion that regret it. They One thing they don't offer is abortion services, but they are a full-service, privately funded organization that comes alongside pregnant women and couples and helps them by saying, if you're going to keep this child, which we want you to do, we want to be a resource to help you. And I would say to all of my pro-life friends, if 15 weeks is what this law ends up being in Arizona, then what we should do is instead of focusing on the legal side of this, go to people and say, we're going to jump on board with organizations like Choices Pregnancy Centers and others and make sure that if you decide to keep a child in a difficult circumstance, we're going to try to make it as less difficult as we can. That's what I would do. What we're going to do after 10 o'clock is uh, talk about Arizona schools. How are Arizona schools dealing with teacher shortages? Should be an interesting conversation.